0: And answers. The advances in bioengineering, biotechnology, and biomedicine have allowed us to cure many diseases but also enhance and even alter human nature. The transhumanist school believes that technology will not only enhance the human condition but even grant us immortality. The current movement of transhumanism asserts that Humanity will achieve a new form of humanity through its adaption of artificial intelligence and genetic engineering. However, in striving to merge technology and our physiology, could we lose our souls in the process? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucharan. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Listen today as Pat and Dr. Fazal Rana discuss the transhuman debate and the future of the human race.
1: Sounds like the cyborg is the future of humanity. Is that what we're looking at here if transhumanists get their way?
2: Uh, it is quite possible. And you know to me, intuitively, I realize that there probably is a line that we shouldn't cross when we start thinking about how do we utilize this technology, particularly when we start thinking about melding human beings with machines. There just seems to be intuitively a line that we shouldn't cross. And I'm much more comfortable with kind of human-machine hybrids if that technology is helping people that are locked in, that are amputees, that are, that are quadriplegics. And, and to some degree, I, I don't really have a, a fundamental issue with somebody using an exoskeleton to enhance their physical strength you know, if there's some reason or some rationale for, for them needing to do that, uh, maybe for the, the job that, that they work on or work at or something like that. But intuitively, I realize that there is, seems to be a point where you could cross a line where you alter human beings to such a point that we no longer are human beings, that we really do lose our identity as human beings. And And to me, though I don't know where that line is, I recognize that this is a very real facet of the concern that I would have as a Christian about how the technology is deployed. But again, it's complicated, you know, and it's all the more reason why I think as Christians, we really need to understand the technology and we need to develop the ability to think in a sophisticated way about, you know, how the technology should be used and uh, or if it should be used at all.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, what is that line? I mean, when does the machine become, quote, human? And when does the human become, quote, machine? I mean, at what point does do you think that happens?
2: Yeah, I wish I could answer that question. <laughs> you know, this is, I think, again, the complexity of transhumanism, because I've spent a couple of years thinking about this, this very question and still have not resolved in my mind where that line is. And and maybe you could argue that because human beings bear God's image, and that image of God is really immaterial. It's not a, a physical entity, that maybe you could argue that we could never truly alter human beings to the point where we actually do indeed lose the image of God. But we could very well create entities that would really, instead of being instead of functioning at a high level could actually function in a maladaptive way, if you will. But also, I think the idea of trying to live and extend our life expectancy beyond 100 years, 120 years, to me, again, create may create a practical immortality that wouldn't be equivalent to eternal life as a Christian, but would allow us essentially to sidestep the consequences of death. And, you know, we see In the early chapters of Genesis, when human beings lived close to a thousand years, the type of evil that was perpetrated, that existed in that society, and the type of evil that was perpetrated from one human being to the other, where, you know, you read in in Genesis 6 that the only thought in the hearts of of each person was evil all the time, and you could easily see a world where human beings attained some kind of practical immortality, where it could really turn our culture and our world upside down in ways that would be reminiscent of what we see in the early chapters of Genesis.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, the Tower of Babel for us might be the desire for immortality. And once we attain it, let's say, we find the gene of aging or whatever it may be, and we find that. I could see a scenario where mankind easily says, okay, we don't need God now. We've got eternal life, like you said. Therefore, then who knows where we go from there once we say, well, we don't need God because the threat of death and everlasting punishment is gone, and we can live for eternity.
2: Yeah, and so this is the thing that I think is concerning about transhumanism. But then on the other hand, what I also see with transhumanism is essentially a movement that I think is going to make the gospel remarkably relevant in a world that's become increasingly secular and increasingly oriented around science and technology uh, in this sense, because what transhumanists desire is, again, a world that's different than the world that we're in. We see, they see this world as being, again, flawed. They see human beings as being flawed. They, they see pain and suffering in the world, that they want to correct, that they want to mitigate, they they want to see human beings progress and and flourish. They want the, a utopian future. They see death as unnatural. They want to somehow overcome death. They desire hope, purpose, and destiny for themselves as individuals, but also for the human species. And so, these are desires that we also share as Christians. And the the big difference becomes where do we find, essentially, the answer to those needs that we all have? Where do we find fulfillment of those needs? And as Christians, we see that fulfillment in the person of Christ. For transhumanists, they see that fulfillment in technology. But as we've discussed, you know, technology never quite delivers. And so again, I think transhumanists are incredibly naive to think that technology is going to rescue them. But what a great opportunity for us to be able to articulate the gospel. So, you know, to me, instead of adopting an alarmist approach to transhumanism, though there are very good reasons one would actually adopt that perspective to be certain, I'm actually holding out a hopeful perspective because I see this as an incredible opportunity for the gospel to go forth, for the gospel to be relevant, for the gospel to be something that people are going to want to hear about, simply because the idea of salvation is going to be at the forefront of every person because of I think the increased prevalence of transhumanism
1: Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up perspective I've never seen before now fuzz we talked about the that Christians we are not against technology we just want to guide and have the proper use of technology and is there currently any kind of ethical regulation on transhumanism and the use of of this kind of technology
2: I mean at this point there's really no regulations that are in place that uh, of any consequence in my view to regulate the work in gene editing or the work in computer brain interface technology if there is any regulation it's essentially guidelines that people are willing to abide by for voluntarily there are some restrictions on what can be done in terms of researching embryos but this, again, is this for people that are following under the purview of governmental regulations because they're receiving funding from, from government agencies. So there's really very minimal regulation in place. And this is really why it's so important for there to be proper ethical deliberations on these technologies. And part of the thing that's concerning is the technologies are advancing so rapidly that ethicists really don't have the proper Window of time to properly deliberate on this. But there's another problem, too. And and a lot of the ethical deliberation is done from a secular perspective. And it's very easy to show how secular ethics simply don't provide us an adequate framework to try to understand how the technology should be developed and used. And so one of the things that Ken Samples and I do in the book is argue that the Christian worldview which is based on the idea of the image of God, is a very powerful worldview that produces an ethical system that, as you said, Pat, uh, promotes science and technology development, sees a strong motivation to minimizing pain and suffering, to promoting human progress and flourishing, but at the same time also puts in place boundaries that protect people that are marginalized, people that could be exploited, ensures the justice use and application of the technology. And so it's remarkable to me that the Christian worldview, which was formulated 2,000 years ago, and the ethical system that flows out of it is so robust that, you know, 2,000 years later, it can actually, I think, effectively guide ethical deliberations on technologies that nobody could have even dreamed of when Christianity was being founded shortly after the resurrection of Christ. So one of the things that we point out in the book is that if Christians really understand the framework for Christian ethics and are willing to engage in an intelligent, thoughtful way our culture, I think we could actually have an influence on how the technology is used, so it's used in such a way that promotes genuine good and minimizes the misuse of the technology.
1: Yes, expand on that a little bit, Fuzz. I mean, what are the Christian guidelines that should guide the responsible use of technology I mean just because we can do it doesn't mean we should and a lot of people may be surprised to hear that the Christian worldview and the Bible offers some guidelines here you know some of the responsible use of technology so can you develop that a little bit for us
2: yeah yeah well it, it all goes back to this idea that that human beings bear God's image this to me is the foundation for any kind of Christian bioethics And because we bear God's image, we see that every human being has infinite worth and value. And so because of that, the way as Christians we treat another human being is equivalent to the way that we would treat God. If we love another human being, it's as if we are expressing love towards God. And if we harm another human being, it's as if we have insulted or assaulted God himself. And so that image of God concept really is the foundation for why we want to treat human beings, again, as, as the way we hope somebody else would treat us. There's a logic that flows out of the image of God concept that, again, undergirds, the, you know, Christian ethics. But it also means that to love our neighbor as ourself, we want to do what we can to, to minimize their pain and suffering, to make sure that their life counts for, for everything that it can count for, which means we want to make sure that we do things to help those human beings flourish, to help them to be successful, to be genuinely fulfilled as human beings, that we want to do whatever we can, again, to ensure that every human being has justice as part of their experience. And we also see that because we're image bearers, we've been given a responsibility, which is to subdue the earth, to bring the earth under our control, uh, to rule over the earth. And this is part of our again, our mandate, our divine mandate. And in order to rule over the earth, to subdue the earth, to bring it under our control, to make use of the resources of the planet for our good and for the good of other life on the planet, we've got to understand the way the world works. This is the motivation for doing science. And it's also the motivation for developing technology so that we can, again, use technology to bend nature, if you will, to our will which is, again, an authority that God has given to us as image bearers. And so we can see that science and technology not only allows us, again, to subdue the earth, to bring it under our control, but it allows us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so technology is an asset for us as Christians as we look to, to live a life in which we try to usher in the kingdom of God and bring light into dark places in the world. But we also realize because as human beings we're sinful, that we have a tendency to misuse the good things in the world, to misuse the good technologies we develop for evil purposes. And so there's a very sober understanding of what human beings are capable of doing, both good and acts of wickedness, that I think brings a very important corrective to how people think about utilizing the technology. It's naive to think that when technology is developed, that we're only going to use it for good right. and that we're never going to misuse it. That is an incredibly naive view.
1: Yes, and Fuzz, I'm sure a lot of people are asking out there, is there a Christian voice in the field of technology and medical technology and these fields of science? Is there a strong medical voice in there that's presenting these kinds of guidelines in these arenas?
2: Well, I mean, there there are Christians that work, and... In biomedicine and biotechnology and bioengineering. And, you know, there are organizations like the Christian Medical and Dental Organization and things like that that try to bring a Christian perspective uh, to the table. And so I'm encouraged by that. But I don't think there's enough Christian voice and enough Christian influence in these areas. And so to me, I think it's really important for Christians that are parents, that are youth leaders, to encourage young people that are interested in science and medicine and engineering to go into these areas of biotechnology and bioengineering with the idea that they could see this as a calling on their lives or they could serve human beings, they could love their neighbor as themselves, but at the same time, they could also be embedded missionaries that represent salt and light that can really shape in a very real way how the technology is used and prevent it from being misused.
1: That's why your organization, Reasons to Believe, and organizations like mine, Evidence and Answers, and others exist to show that Christianity is not just about my personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's part of what Christianity is all about, but that's not it. That's just part. Christianity is an entire all embracing worldview, which gives us principles of how to live in God's world and apply god's principles in all arenas of god's creation and one of these as you talk about is technology and medical technology and christians need to be able to have a strong voice in these arenas and therefore pastors and sunday school teachers need to be equipped in the christian worldview so that they can present these to the young people so they understand christianity is not just Bible stories and having a good relationship with God. It's bringing these Christian principles and the message of the gospel into these fields like biomedical engineering, genetic engineering, computer science, and technology.
2: That's very, very well said, Pat. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think it's important for us, again, as Christians to recognize that our worldview is you know, not only all-encompassing and impacts all of our, our lives, but our worldview is, is based on truth and evidence. And the, the worldview is the right worldview that could really, if it was implemented on a wide-scale basis, literally usher in the kingdom of God, and, or at least as much as, as we could ever hope to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth before Christ's return. And and so if we think about it in those terms, I think it really motivates us as Christians to action, to be enthusiastic about engaging our culture, to be enthusiastic about participating in culture and society, in ways in which we bring salt and light into every aspect of our culture, every aspect of our society, and with the hope that by doing that we can draw people closer to the cross
1: now overall fuzz what are your hopes for the potential of transhumanism
2: well you know to me i think as we talked about earlier to me i think if we think about transhumanism in the right way it is a i think an unprecedented opportunity for us to bring the gospel to our culture again because of what i see to be the provocative parallels between transhumanism and the, the Christian worldview the, there 's so many points of connection that I see, and if we understand those points of connection, they really could represent bridge a bridge uh, to the gospel and you know it 's remarkable to me that not only is the Christian worldview thats over that 's two thousand years old still relevant today as it was two thousand years ago, but the gospel is as, as, as relevant today as it was two thousand years ago, and all of these emerging technologies are not doing anything to make the gospel less relevant, but in fact are highlighting just how relevant the gospel actually is. And to me, I'm really very hopeful of what the emerging transhumanist movement could mean uh, for the church. I don't see it as a threat, but I see it as an, an incredible opportunity to build, in a unique way, bridges into our culture.
1: Yeah, you know, just because we can, let's say, live eternally, let's say we figure out the gene for aging and we can live eternally, or we can cure disease, that still doesn't provide meaning and purpose for our existence if if simply we are products of just chance and natural forces coming together.
2: That's exactly right. That's a really good point. And to me, part of the genuine hope that we have as Christians, of course, is eternal life. But eternal life is not just simply living forever in a Christian context. It's actually knowing the Creator of the universe, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and that's made possible through the, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so it's not only that we can live forever, but we live forever in an intimate relationship with the Creator who brought everything into existence. What an amazing concept that is, and that the utopia that we will be offered in conjunction with our eternal life is not one that is made by technology, but it is the new heavens and the new earth, the, the creation of the creator of everything. And we are going to one day get new bodies. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, that for Christian theologians, this is called glorification, where we will resurrect from the dead just as Christ was raised from the dead, and that we will have these glorified bodies and so in a sense christianity really is the true version of transhumanism and this is what we have to offer this is the ultimate hope that we have to offer our world as christians now fuzz you
1: know the book we're promoting here is your recent book humans 2.0, 2.0, and it's, I think it's a great book, but it's not an easy read. You're going to have to concentrate when you read this book, but it gives a good overall view of what's going on in, in all of transhumanism. You go into a lot of detail over genetic engineering and artificial intelligence and the things that are going on here. What did you and, you know, your co author Ken Samples ultimately hope to impart to those who read Humans 2.0? Well, one
2: of the major motivations for writing the book was, first of all, to put transhumanism on people's radar screens. I don't think people are really familiar with transhumanism at this point in time, at least in a broad sense. And if they are familiar with it, they think of it in in the context of science fiction. They don't really see this as actually something that is materializing before our very eyes. And so, you know, I've had a number of people who've read the book and afterwards have said to me, after reading the book, I understand why you wrote the book, and why the book, and knowing how to engage transhumanism is is so important. But we also not only do we want to put transhumanism on people's radar screens. What we want to do is really suggest to Christians that there are good ways that we can engage this idea in ways that really promote the credibility of the Christian worldview and promote the gospel. And so we're just trying to get Christians to capture a vision for how they can, in their own lives, in own of influence use transhumanism as a way again to, to promote the gospel Yeah,
1: so this is not a book just for those interested in science i mean those with a science background definitely will want to get a copy of this book and and take a look at it but also those without a background in science uh, you've written it so that it's as much as possible, understandable for those of us uh, without a science background. I don't have a strong science background, but I was able to understand a large part of this book and the issues you are promoting here.
2: Thank you. That's the hope, you know, that the, an intelligent layperson, that the book would serve as as something that was accessible, but we also wanted to make sure that we really did a good job of giving people the basic science behind the technology that is fueling transhumanism. So. Out of that understanding they could be a lot more sophisticated in terms of how they would engage people uh, in our culture that again are influenced by what transhumanism is offering
1: yes the book is uh, humans 2.0 a fantastic book and it is a challenging read well fuzz if people want more information on the things that uh, you write about in your organization tell us where can they go
2: Well, if people are interested in what we do at Reasons to Believe, they can go to our website, reasons.org. And at our website, they can access all kinds of articles and podcasts and videos at no cost to them. And they also can get a copy of Humans 2.0 from us as well at reasons.org. Or if they would like to go and, and purchase the book from Amazon, they could do that. And through Amazon, there's a Kindle version of the book that's available
1: Yes, and this is an outstanding organization, deals in the area of Krishna apologetics, specifically scientific apologetics, so if you got a science buff out there or students studying science that want uh biblically based answers on the issues of science that they are facing we recommend reasons.org or reasons to believe this is an outstanding organization with great resources uh for your young people out there so dr rana thanks for being with us here once again on evidence and answers
0: we've run out of time thank you for joining us here on evidence and answers radio broadcast We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, Visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukran.